Alrighty, church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 to 16 this morning. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be taking a look, a long look through the epistles of Paul. And chronologically, the first epistle that he wrote was First and Second Thessalonians. And so um, I talked last week about how this was the planting of this church that happened in Acts chapter 17. And the writing of these letters was probably two or three years later uh, as they had to leave very quickly. Um, so when we looked at the introduction section of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, um, Paul said there that he and his missionary companions always pray and thank God for this church. This church popped up in a place where it was very unlikely for a church to be. And so they're very grateful to God for uh, his faithfulness in you know, bringing sustenance to the preaching and teaching of his word. In those prayers, Paul remembers the work that was produced by the Thessalonians' faith and was motivated uh, by their love for one another and the law. So he's grateful not only for the planting of this church, but from the faith of this church, he is praising the Lord for the work that their faith has produced. They produce that faith. That, they, that faith was produced and it has motivated them to, to love themselves well and to love the lost well. And he also remembers their endurance that is inspired by hope in Christ Jesus, right? So they're facing a ton of persecution in this church. Uh, it's very difficult to be a Christian in Thessalonica for two reasons. Number one, the first is because there is that persecution that's there. There are a prominent number of Jews in that city who are absolutely opposed to the idea of the Christian faith. Right? They become jealous in Acts 17 as they see Paul goes into the synagogue. He teaches there for three Sabbaths. And then after this is over, they see a large number of their people coming out, but also a large number of uh, pagans from the city have converted those who have been in the church or in the synagogue they converted as well as many of the prominent women in the in the city they all are converting and the jews are getting upset because people are moving away from what they're teaching and they're moving towards the teaching of paul and so they start a riot in the marketplace and they blame the christians for the riot they said that they're turning the world upside down and they've come here to do the same thing. And so they're rioting against it because they say they're trying to elect a new king, right? So they're saying that Jesus is king and not Caesar. And so they're trying to get them pushed out of the city. Another reason that persecution is very prevalent in Thessalonica is that if you weren't a Jew, then you were a pagan. Uh, you were a Gentile that had pagan faith. And they don't like the Christians either because the Christians are turning people away from their beliefs as well. So they're getting it from all sides uh, in this situation. Uh, the second reason that it's difficult to be a Christian in Thessalonica is because a majority of the people that came to faith came to faith out of that pagan background. And so Paul, Paul says in the first part of this letter that they turn away from the idols that they're serving and now they serve the one true God. So imagine being saved uh, from a from faith in a pagan lifestyle 
chasing after other gods, little g gods, chasing out, you know, have, you have all these different sacrifices that you would do. You have all these different rituals that you would do. And suddenly Paul comes in, he teaches the message of the gospel. They hear it, they receive it. And suddenly your lifestyle has flipped upside down on its head. I know you can't pursue after that. You can't do the things that you used to do. We, we don't believe those things. You're, what you are worshiping is not a God. It, at the most, it's a, a demonic spirit. Uh, but there is no, there's no faith to be had in that idol that you've been pursuing. There's no, there's no merit in that ritual that you've been doing for your whole life. And so suddenly, all that they know gets turned on its head and they're pursuing after Christ. But they're willing to lay all of that down because they see the value of the Christian faith. Right? Some of us may here may have a story similar to that where we were saved out of a lifestyle that is not conducive to the Christian faith and all of a sudden we have to uh, put down you know, the habits that we've had for a long, long time. Maybe we've had to walk away from people in our life that we've known for a long, long time. Maybe that means that you have to turn your back to a certain extent on, uh, we'll, we'll use the word toxic since that's uh, popular, toxic family members, toxic friends, toxic co-workers, toxic neighbors, the people that are trying to pull you away from your faith in God. You may have been saved out of that, and all of a sudden you're like, I- I'm, I'm a man or a woman on an island. I don't, I don't have people around me that are going to speak life into me. They're not going to be speaking the truth into me. And this brings to mind why the church is so important. Right? We are a called out people. We're called out of that lifestyle. We're called out of the world. And we're supposed to come together and support one another. That's what he's praising them for. Right, The works that you have done for one another, the love that you've had for one another, the hope that endures because of Christ. The church is so important. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't have a church home. Welcome home, guys. I mean, we're here for you. Right? If you have that in your background, you can understand what it would have been like for the Christians in Thessalonica. They're surrounded by people of other faiths who were not content to live and let live. Right? They're violently opposed to the Thessalonians' church, their belief in Christ. And so it's not just be tolerant of me they're they're fighting for their lives here and this persecution though did not hinder the church's efforts at sharing the gospel in chapter one paul said uh, that the lives of the thessalonian church they imitated the lives of paul who was in the process of imitating the life of christ and because of their faithful pursuit of god in the face of persecution this little small fledgling church that i mean in in our efforts would not make it Right? This is only the efforts of God that can, can boast about this. But that fledgling church, it, he, Paul says, you became an example of faith to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So this church that's only been around for a handful of years is already setting an example for the churches and cities around them. And Paul said that the word of the Lord rang out from them in every place that their faith has gone. So every place that the Thessalonian church goes their faith is ringing out. The Word of God is ringing out. We get this idea of this ripple effect that it's going out from this church. And that's something that we should be striving to do as well. Everywhere we go, the Word of God should be ringing from our lips. People should see it in the lives that we live. 
Right, so we can tell through Paul's introduction that he is extremely fond of this church. Right, he's impressed with their efforts, with what they've done to make the kingdom of God known since their beginning. But what we also see, and we're going to see it this week and next week specifically, that Paul is extremely worried about this church. Right, we're going to see that because he's worried about his reputation among the church. Right, those that he and his companions had in Thessalonica. Not because he cares about what the people in Thessalonica think of him personally, uh, but his concern is that uh, if people believe that he isn't who he says he is, that the gospel might be affected by that. Right? This is something that we should all be concerned about. Right? We don't live the life we live for the pleasure of people. Right? We're not trying to people please. We're living this way so that people see something different in us. And if we don't have that reputation, if we preach one thing and do another, then people can say, well, you either don't believe that or that's not true. So he's worried here that the church in Thessalonica may turn away from the gospel message because there are lies being spread about him. And we'll get more into that as we jump into it. So I want to open up with a word of prayer and then we'll read through uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 16. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. I'm so thankful that we get to hear from you uh, in a regular and consistent way. All we have to do is open it and there you are. And Lord, I pray that today as we go through this, that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears and our hearts so that we would see, hear, and, and love all that you have for us in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Lord, I love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So to start with, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. It's also going to be on the screen uh, behind me, so you can follow along with me that way. It says there, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers." As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so as I mentioned before, what we're seeing here is Paul's concern that the church in Thessalonica might be convinced that Paul and his companions aren't really who they said they were. Right, there were a lot of charlatans that would come through preaching false religious messages uh, trying to sell snake oil, so to speak, right? If you believe in this or you believe in that, then all of your problems will be solved, right? You, you'll get a better night's sleep, your hair will grow back, 
right? All of this stuff, if you just believe what we tell you to believe, and all you have to do is pay us this low, low rate of, you know, $99.99, and we'll, you know, all this can be yours, right? So people would become, they'd preach messages about gods and spirits that they don't actually believe in. They would extort money from the people that would come to listen to them, and then they would take off before they were found out. Right, so Paul shows concern here that the message of the gospel would be viewed in the same light because of that hasty exit that they had to take because they were being persecuted by the Jews and the pagans in the city. Right, so they proclaimed the message and suddenly their life was in danger and also the livelihood of many of the people that followed them. If you remember, I mentioned last week that Jason was held at a security bond. So basically, any trouble that was caused by Paul and his, caused by Paul and his companions any damages that might occur, Jason would be liable for that. And the people that they took that money from would be liable for that. And so to keep that from happening, Paul and his companions, they moved on. And it happened so quickly that Paul is concerned that there might be some, from some back talk back there saying that they're not who they say they are. They're just a charlatan just like every other charlatan that's ever come through here. Did you see how they ran off after you know getting a little bit of opposition? They took off. And so he was afraid that they might begin to turn away from that. They might begin to believe what people were saying about them, and then they would move away from the truth of the gospel. Uh, and so what Paul does in his letter is he points out what the Thessalonians saw with their own eyes. He's like, yes, you hear all these people saying this stuff, but what did you see? Right? People can say whatever they want, but what did you witness? In verse 1, Paul says that their visit with them produced results. Lives were changed because of the presentation of the gospel. Right? Supernatural change. I'm assuming that there would probably have been some, that, some drastic turnarounds. Like you don't go from this pagan life to suddenly following Christ without there being drastic changes. And people are going to see a difference in you in, almost immediately. Right? You, you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling in you now. Your heart has, become, has gone from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And suddenly you're alive. And it's going to look different than you would have looked in that pagan faith. Right? So, you know, he's, he's telling you, them that this wasn't just some fake religious experience that was designed to take their money or to give them false joy uh, or false hope. Right? The Holy Spirit worked with power in the lives of those people, and it was done in such a way that it's undeniable. It's, it's verifiable. Paul says, you know this is true. You've seen it with your own eyes. Right? In verse 2, Paul reminds the church of the persecution that they endured in Philippi, which emboldened them to speak the truth to the Thessalonians. Right? What he's pointing out here is you might indeed be willing to promote uh, a false religion if that promotion lined your pockets. Right? If it got you acclaim and power, right? you might be willing to do that, but you know what you won't do for a religion that you know for a fact to be false? Suffer. If you knew you were pushing a lie and suddenly you were called to suffer, you're going to quit that lie very, very fast. That's actually one of the apologetic ways that we explain the truth of the gospel. Like when people say maybe the disciples were lying. Almost all of the disciples were murdered because of their faith. And you're not going to do that for a faith that you know to be false. If you made that up, it will not, you will not stick it out. And so Paul is saying here, like, do you remember how we suffered? Do you remember how we fought against the, the persecution in Philippi? And then we came to you and we were emboldened to speak the truth. 
right? That persecution gave us the jolts that we needed to do what we needed to do in Thessalonica as well, right? No one suffers for a lie. No one is willing to do the, go through the hard things that the Christian life calls us to knowing that it's false. We're not going to do it. And so Paul and his companions, they had nothing to gain by presenting the Christian faith to the people in Thessalonica because of the persecution that they knew was going to come. That's been following them every step of their journey. Right? And honestly, if the, if the Christian faith isn't true, then there's nothing to be gained by following it at all, much less preaching it. Right? Not, not all of us are preachers and teachers. Not all of us take that and, and share it with other people. But like, let's say that you are a casual Christian. Right? You don't do a whole lot with the, the faith that you claim to have. And I mean, what, what's the benefit for you if, if it's not true? Right? We're just wasting our time. You've got better things to do on a Sunday than come in here and listen to this guy talk for way too long but if, if this is not true, right? Jesus tells us that the Christian faith will be persecuted if we share the message of the gospel. We're told in the Christian message to sacrifice our time, to sacrifice our money, to sacrifice our lives for the sake of His name. We're told to rein in desires that feel very natural to us and they feel right. We're told not to do those things because it goes against the nature and character of God. So what benefit do we have of following the Christian faith if it's not true? Why would we sign up for that if it's not true? We wouldn't. Right? Our pursuit of this shows that we believe it to be true. Paul's efforts in Thessalonica, it doesn't prove that the message is true, but it proves that he believes it's true. He believes it's true so much that he's willing to deal with the difficulties of life that being this church planting missionary brings to him the, the, the shipwrecks and the snake bites and the persecutions and the beatings. He, he believes it's true and he's willing to do it all because there's no message more important for us to present to the world than the beauty, beautiful message of the cross of Christ. Paul believes it's true. In verse 3, Paul says that their exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or from an intent to deceive. They taught what they believed to be true, right? So, you know, they, it didn't come from error. They know they're right. Paul's had many interactions with Christ, right? Specifically the one on the road to Damascus. He saw it. He's been to the third heaven, right? So, like, he knows that what he's preaching is true, Right? It's not from impurity. He didn't have any impure motives. Right? He's not striving to get rich from this. He's not striving for power or prestige from any of this. And he says there was no intent to deceive. Like I didn't try to purposefully lie to you. Right? Everything was on the up and up. Paul, in verse 4, Paul says that they spoke the gospel without intending to please people. Right? That the message of the gospel is not pleasing to those who are far from God. Like you're not going to win any friends by saying, hey, you know, you're, you are a sinful person. You are at odds with the holy, righteous creator of the universe. If you don't accept the message of Christ, then you will die and face condemnation and wrath and hell forever. That doesn't make you friends. So he says, you know, we had the message that we shared with you. We had no intent to please people. You can't please people with that message. 
You can't, you, that doesn't give you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And with that in mind, Paul says they didn't use flattering words or have greedy motives. Right? He's not patting them on the head, telling them how wonderful they are. He's not telling them about how they can have their best life now if they would just follow this, this person. Right? He, he's not greedy. Right? They don't seek glory from people. Uh, he says there that they made it a point not to be a burden on the church there, even though they could as apostles. Right? The people who God has called out to lead churches, to, to be church planters, they have a right to be paid for the work that they're doing. Right? I mean, that might sound a little self-congratulatory for my, on my part, but I mean, that's what we're told in the New Testament. But Paul said, look, we didn't want to be accused of anything by anyone. We didn't take any money from any of you. It says they worked hard to pay their own way. So they worked day and night. They worked during the day, probably making tents, which is what Paul's trade was. And then at night, they would share the gospel with anybody that, they would, that would listen to them. Right? They wanted no possible contention that they were only in it for the money. And so they didn't take any. Right? They didn't have anything to gain from their efforts, and yet they loved this church so much that they shared not only the gospel with them, but Paul says in verse 8 that they shared their lives with them as well. They shared their lives with them. They, they spent time with them. They ate with them. They talked around the fire to all hours of the night with them. They worked with them. They held their kids. Right? They played games together. They sang together. They cried together. They lived their life together. This idea that we can come into church and be part of the church and be here for an hour a week and go away and never talk to anyone else in the church again is foreign to the Christian faith. I mean, if you, if you really think about it, when you come in here on Sunday morning, if, if all we do is, you know, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock-ish, you spend 15 minutes with the church. 10, or, 10, 10 minutes or so before you get here, five minutes on the way out the door, and that's it. That's it. That's not part of being the church. That's part of being an individualistic American. Right? But the church is meant to spend time together. They're meant to spend lives together. That is the purpose of the church. That is why we present to you opportunities throughout the week to get together. Right? Now, we used to do a, a small group at my house. We do Sunday night. We do Sunday school to, to give you opportunities to spend more time together, to be able to cut out very specific times in your week so that you can have those relationships. Now we have those Men, the men's group and the women's group that are presenting you the opportunity to be with the church. Paul, and, and that's a sign of our love for one another. Right? You know, you could say, I love our church. You, you show up, you know, once a week. You say, I love our church. Well, of course you love the church if all you do is spend 15 minutes with them. How hard is it to be nice to somebody for 15 minutes? I'm pleasant for 15 minutes. Ask Kelly how, good, how much she, and she loves me when we get home sometimes, right? Anybody can be pleasant for 15 minutes. Of course you love the church if that's all the time you spend here. Right? You are some nice people. 
And there is not one person who, in the five years that I've been here, there's not one person that has walked through that door that could possibly feel anything other than affection by the people that come from this church. But we can't say we love one another because of how we treat people here. Right? That love comes from living life together, crying together, carrying one another's burdens. And this is what, they, this is what Paul and his companions did. They loved these people. They spent time with them. That's what it means to share life with the church. That's one of the things that makes the church stand out from any other organization in the world. It's what we're called to do, to be different, to love different. All right, so there's meant to be a closeness among the body of Christ that's completely different than anything else the world can offer. He loved these people. He showed that by spending time with them, by, by sharing their life with them. And then Paul reiterates in verse 10 that they themselves saw the truth of their work. Uh, so let's say you don't, you don't believe what you're hearing. He says, you know who we were, right? You saw who we were when we were there with you. Right? They're, teach, they're saying this about us. You saw us do this. All right? So don't believe what you hear. Believe what you saw. Believe what you experienced. He wants them to remember that he implored them to walk in a manner worthy of God because this is how much he loves them. This is how we show that we love God and we love those who proclaim to follow Christ as we push one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. All right? This is something that Paul tells several churches in his epistles. It might not be said directly like this as we go through. We might not read it in exactly these words. But essentially, the idea is God has saved you. Now, you ought to, to live in a way that you believe is worthy of sacrifice for what Christ has offered to you. All right, we don't work our way into salvation, but once we are saved, there should be something that changes in us that wants us to be more and more like Jesus. And if that, if that is not happening in us, we should be concerned, right? Someone that professed faith in Christ when they were eight years old and you see no change in their life and they're 60, like there should be concern because that's not walking in a manner worthy of God. You don't, have, you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. You don't understand what it means to follow Christ if that's where we are. Right? Paul will eventually, in the Corinthians, he'll talk to them about, hey, you're still on the milk of the word. By now, you should be on the meat. You should be teachers at this point. And yet, here we are still baby-stepping our way through life. Right? Paul says, walk in a way, in a manner worthy of God. This means that we live in humility. Right? Paul's going to say in the book of Philippians that we, we should live the way that Christ lived. Though he was God, he did not take the, the respect and awe and the worship that God was due. He came as a, a baby to experience you know, poopy diapers and heart, like difficulty in growth and dealing with struggle and hardship. And that is what we're called to be. Right? We shouldn't be puffing ourselves up. We shouldn't be thinking, it's my way or no way. Paul says that we should be the least important person in every one of our relationships. Because Jesus presented himself as the least important person in all of his relationships. He was willing to sacrifice himself for us all. 
We should be gentle. Anybody have a tr- trouble with that? Maybe a little bit? We should be gentle with people. We should understand, just as God does, that we are dust. Right? We talked about that in Ecclesiastes. We are dust. We are broken people. We are wildly more sinful than we will admit to one another. And we all have struggles. We should have somewhere in the back of our mind that should register and we should be gentle with one another. We should be gentle with people who disagree with us, who live a life, a a, a pagan lifestyle that doesn't affirm what we affirm. We should be gentle with them. We should not be beating them over the heads with the gospel or the Bible. We should be gentle. They're blind to the truth. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. We should be gentle with these people. We should be long-suffering. We should understand that, this, that we're all in a race together and that we are all learning as we go. And that should produce in us this idea that I'm with you. I am with you. If you will run beside me, I will pick you up when you fall. You pick me up when I fall. And God knows I'm going to fall a lot. But as the church, we should be there for each other, willing to pick each other up as we struggle. We should bear one another's burdens. No one should walk through anything in this church alone. Right? If you, and, and you should have the, you should lose the, the pride that keeps you from asking for help. If you are struggling, the church needs to know. That that's at the very least and most we can pray for you. But some of it might be walking beside you as you go through the difficulties in your life. Right? We should strive to keep unity in the church. Right? We shouldn't strive to have our own way. We should strive to do what's best for the body of Christ, to do what's best for the the image of this church as we project that out into the community. Right? For the same things that Paul was concerned about, if we are, are not unified in this, if we are constantly fighting and bickering amongst ourselves, then why would anyone out there want to be in here? It negates the truth of the gospel. It proves we don't believe it. And so we need to be unified. We need to strive to grow in our knowledge of God. How do you walk in a manner worthy of God? You, you strive to know Him more. The more you know Him, the, the more mature you will become. You will get off the milk of the word and you will chew the meat of the word. You will become teachers and disciplers of people. You will become evangelistic in your outreach. Like This is walking in a manner worthy of God. You're going to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. You're going to spend your time, your money, your talent taking care of orphans and widows. You're going to do what Jesus did while he was here. That is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. And this is how they're living. Paul sees it and he's grateful for that. We see that in verses 13 to 16. Follow along with me as I read that. Verse 13 says, This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it, is, as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. 
They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. So Paul here, he gives thanks for the Thessalonian church because they receive the word of God as the word of God. Right? This isn't a human message. Right? This is one of the reasons why, two, two things, why we preach through books of the Bible. I want you to know the word. Right? If, I, if I preach topically and if pastors preach topically, typically you're going to get their favorite messages and you will never get beyond what they're comfortable with. Right? If, if we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, you're going to learn what those books say, probably books, some books that you've probably never read all the way through. Right? You're going to get that. And this stuff makes me uncomfortable too. Right? I don't always like what, what the next topic that shows up on the pages of Scripture. Like this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't necessarily want to talk about some of these things. But if this is God's word and we believe it to be God's word, then we need to know it all. We need to study it all. And we need to treat it as though it is God's word. You're not listening to a message from me. This is the reason why I want you to go back to the scriptures. That's the reason why we read it all. Right? I'm not trying to tell you what it says. I'm trying to help interpret what, some of what it says. But I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to value it. I want you to devour it. Because it says there that it will change you. It changed the Thessalonians. They accepted it as the Word of God, and the Word of God changed who they were. And it'll change you as well. And it will change me. And it will change those who we can reach with the gospel of Christ. So we, we don't have to give up hope on those who are far from God because the Holy Spirit can change hearts. The Word of God can change lives. And we can rest in that. And that's what Paul is giving thanks for. He, thinks, he, he gives thanks to God because you heard the Word, you trusted the Word, you believed the Word. Praise the Lord for the Word of God. He says there, they became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus in Judea. So basically what he's saying here is that the Gentiles are acting like those who've been familiar with the Word of God for their whole lives. Right? So many of the people that came to faith in Christ from uh, the Jewish faith Right? They didn't have to change all that much. There's just a few things that would be different in their life. And Paul says, you came out of paganism. You came out of this massively different lifestyle, and already you guys are representing the church well. You're already living a life that is worthy of walking with God. Right? The Gentiles are acting like those who have been familiar with the Word of God, and they're suffering for it. They're suffering for it because... The Jews are oppressing them. They're suffering for it because the, the Gentiles are uh, oppressing them for it. But Paul specifically here talks about the Jewish oppression that they've been experiencing. And he says, it's not going unnoticed. You know, you might feel like you're standing on an island. You might feel like you're alone in this persecution. But God sees it all. He understands everything that we are experiencing. He understands everything that we are going through. And it's not going to be unpunished. And that's why we can continue to pray for our enemies. That's why we can continue to work for their good because the punishment is sure for those who do not turn and we just let God vindicate us 
We leave the vengeance up to God and we, we get to be the agents of, of grace and mercy on this life to present the alternative to what they're currently choosing. And so stay strong if you are one of these people that is struggling because of what the world is throwing at you. Right? Nobody else may see it. Maybe you've got that backstabbing boss that is, is twisting some things up for you because you're a Christian and he knows it and he doesn't like it. You know, maybe you have that coworker who constantly goes against HOA regulations to uh, make things hard for you, right? I don't know. I don't do HOAs. I don't know what that is. But there could be difficulties in your life that cause struggle for you. And you might be willing, you, I mean, guys, you, you, if you've been here for any length of time, you know, like, I'm a fighter. I want to fight back. Go big or go home in vengeance, right? But we have to rein that in because God is going to take care of that for us. And he, he's, Paul's encouraging them, saying that this is not going unnoticed. The persecution is difficult, but endure. And don't fight back in the same way that you're being fought against because God will take care of it for you. So, what is our application for this? Uh, we've got three points that I want to address here. Number one, we should strive to have Paul's passion for the church. All right, Paul loves the church. Paul sacrificed for the church. Paul endured a whole lot of persecution for the church. And we should have that same passion in us. Right? We should imitate Paul as he imitates Christ in the same way that the Thessalonian church was doing. So we should strive to have that same passion for the church. And if there's something in you that doesn't want to, then let's work on what that means. Like what is it? Is it something in the church that we need to be made aware of? Is it something in you that we need to work on discipleship and grow in? Like let's work on these things. If you just do not have that passion for the church, let's work on that. But let's strive for it. Let's understand that this is who we should be as the church and that we should make efforts to be there. So number one, strive to have Paul's passion for the church. Number two, walk worthy of God. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, there should be a significant difference in you than in the people of the world. And it can't just be how nice you are. I, some of the nicest people I know are non-Christians who wouldn't darken the doorstep of a church, who wouldn't give a dime to uh, a church. They might give significantly more than we do to other charitable foundations, but they're not going to give anything to the church. Right? Be humble. Don't think that you're the most important, that your way is the right way and it must be that way. Be gentle. Change how you interact with people. Be long-suffering. Right? We're all broken in here, and, it's, and sometimes we just need some help, and we need people to, that are willing to put in the work, put in the time to be with us for an extended period of time to show us that they love us. And walk in a manner worthy of God. And lastly, receive God's word as God's word. Right? We have before us the very words of the creator of the universe. Do you believe that? Has it changed you? Are you eager to get into it? Are you eager to see what changes might come if you continue to pursue after it? 
Are you being obedient to it? Just believing that it's God's word doesn't do anything. It doesn't help us if we're not obedient to what it says. And you've got to read it to know what it says. So please receive God's word as God's word. Understand that everything that you need to conduct your life are within the pages of the Bible. Now, it doesn't answer all the questions. It's not intended to answer all the questions. What it's intended to do is to make you like Christ and prepare you for the work that God has for you. Do you receive God's word as God's word? And lastly, I didn't put this one on here, um, but do you, do you believe that it's true? Are you a Christian in here today? You can't do these things without the Holy Spirit working in your life. You can't trust God's word to be God's word without the Holy Spirit. You can't walk worthy of God without the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't have Paul's passion for the church without the Holy Spirit working in your life. And you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you have come to saving faith in Christ. This is the understanding that you are a sinner separated from God because of your sinful, rebellious attitude to his nature and character. This is understanding that Christ, the second member of the Godhead, stepped out of glory into this world so that he could be a man and live a perfect life, the life that you and I can't live so that he could go to the cross and take your punishment for sin. The punishment of all who will put their faith in him. He took the whole wrath of God for all sin, past, present, and future, for all who will believe. And he is faithful to forgive those who seek forgiveness. Have you sought that forgiveness? Are you willing to repent and to turn away from your sin and to give everything in your life to the Lord? Stumbles along the way, obviously. We all do. But are you willing to do that? Have you done that? Don't leave here today without that. If you're here today and you can honestly say, I don't have that relationship with the Lord. I don't have the Holy Spirit working in my life. Come talk to me before you go. I would love to pray for you. I'd love to answer any questions that you may have. But don't leave here today without that firm commitment that, that you have that relationship, that rest restorative relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. Let's pray together. Father, it is my desire to grow in my passion for this church. It's my desire to walk in a manner worthy of my salvation. It is my desire to grow in my understanding and readiness to change for your word. And I pray that that same process will be in the hearts of all the people here. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that today would be the day that their hearts jump and become alive, go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. If their eyes are open to the truth, if they're broken by their sin, and they see the beauty of the cross. Lord, help us to be like the church in Thessalonica. Help us to ring forth from this place the beautiful message of the gospel. Help us to love one another in a way that shows that there's something different about us than, than what the world has to offer. And Lord, we can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would indeed uh, be welcome here and present here and would change our hearts to grow in our desire to be like you. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.